Good morning. Our Bible reading today comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. As a prisoner from the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens, in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him, who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I vividly remember one lecture at the strategic planning class when I was studying at business school. The lecturer opened the class with a quotation from Alice in Wonderland to teach us some important truths about planning and setting goals in the long term. There she was, Alice, in Wonderland, completely confused and confounded, not knowing her way back home. And seeing Cheshire Cat at a distance, she said, Cheshire Puss, which way should I turn? The cat replied, it depends where you want to get to. What the lecturer was trying to drive home was, that despite the uncertainties and the chaos, we should always keep the larger vision and the end goals of the business in mind when we develop and build our business plans and pursue them in the long run. Now, this is not only true for businesses, but it's also true for us. As people of God, as He builds us, the church of God. Paul writes uh, the book of Ephesians. As he writes the book, uh, the book, he also lets us know what the end goal of the, ch- goal of the church is, as well as the greater purposes of God for calling us as his new people. The book of Ephesians is divided into two parts. First part is from chapter 1 to chapter 3, where Paul tells us the story of the gospel. 
how in the promise that God made to Abraham, that in him all the families of the earth will be blessed, came to be fulfilled in Jesus. The Gentiles were cut off from God and his people, Israel, because of the righteous laws that God gave to his people in Mount Sinai, which formed actually a boundary fence around the people of Israel, uh, marking them out as separate from the rest of the nations called the Gentiles. Just as much as our belief in the gospel marked the church out as separate from the rest of the world in the new covenant. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus paid the price and paid the righteous demands of God's law through his work on the cross on behalf of all the people of the world, thereby removing the barrier that once existed between Jews and Gentiles and bringing all humanity together under the headship of Christ. Now, Paul reveals this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, which he calls the mystery of God to unite everything in heaven and earth under the headship of Christ. Now, the passage that we are going to look at today not only uh, tells us how, under this great vision of God, the life of the church is shaped so that we can move towards the end of the age to meet God's desired plan and purpose for us. So Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 to 16 has a nice structure to it. The unity of the church is built on five virtues. That's what 1 and 2 tells us. The unity of the church is based on the triune God. The unity of the church is boosted by its diversity and the unity of the church is braced or hardened by its maturity. I've chosen four words starting with B to make you easier for you to remember. So let's pick up the first one. The unity of the church is built on five virtues. Now Paul, having explained the new configuration of this humanity, brought about by the gospel of Jesus Christ and the great purpose of God, the great vision of God to unite everything in heaven and earth under the headship of Christ, begins his second section of the letter in chapter 4 with the words, therefore, or then, and and labors to explain to to the new community of believers that... Their identity is, depends on their purity and unity that they display in this world. And that, that is in consonance with their divine calling. The divine calling demands five virtues from the church. Firstly, lowliness of mind, meekness, patience, forbearance, and love. Now let's look at them 
a bit more closely. Now, lowliness of mind is the humble recognition of the intrinsic worth in others because they are created in the image of God and for whom Christ laid down his life. When we consider others precious, that is lowliness of mind, and that becomes the cure for our pride and our vanity. The second virtue is meekness. The word meekness is very often misunderstood in this world to indicate weakness. Don't be a doormat. Stand up for your rights. That's the cliche that we hear from the world. But in fact, in the church of God, it is reversed. We as believers, Christians, who have a strong faith and who are led by the power of the Holy Spirit, choose to lay aside our claims and our merits for the greater good of the church. We choose to let things go because of the greater good of the church, not because we are foolish, not because we are weak, but because we love God and His people. Friends, if we are not meek towards each other, there is a sure indication that we are weak Christians, lacking in faith and worldly. The next pair of virtues that Paul talks about here for the church is patience and forbearance. Now, without patience and forbearance, the church of God which consists of people from every nation, tongue, and tribe cannot come together and be in peace and harmony with each other. And finally, the crowning virtue, love, which encapsulates all the previous four virtues. Love is a crowning virtue because it always thinks about the welfare and about the good of others. And it binds every other virtue together as we read in Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. It is these five virtues upon which the church is built. And it is these five virtues that we must strive to build in our lives too. And we must bring them to church as we gather as God's people. Now in verse 3 to 6, um, Paul speaks about the unity of the church based on the triune God. Now, in reading through verses 3 to 6, you would have observed that the word one is used seven times. Three times to describe the Trinitarian God and four times to describe our relationship to the Trinitarian God. So we need to understand how the unity of the church, the unity of the Trinity, plays on the unity of the church. Firstly, the oneness of the church, consisting of people from every nation, tongue, and tribe, 
is because of the one Holy Spirit of God indwelling us and animating us. Secondly, the Lord Jesus Christ is the only object of our faith, baptism, and hope. Christ is the author and finisher of our faith, as in Christ that we are baptized, and it's Christ's second coming that we are looking forward to with expectant hope. Thirdly, the passage refers to one God and Father. The passage describes God as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If God is not the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, He is no God at all. Because He has not revealed Himself to, to humanity. And any other God that people talk of is just a figment of their imagination. And that's why Paul says there is only one church, one faith, one hope, and one baptism because the church is born out of the triune God whom God has revealed through his son, Jesus Christ. And just as much as the Trinity is indivisible, the unity of the church is indestructible because we are born from the triune God. Some of you may be thinking about the acrimonious divisions that existed in the church in the past, and perhaps sometimes it even manifests even today. And we may be wondering, what, Ed, what is Edwin talking about, this indestructible unity of the church? Well, let me explain to you with an uh, illustration. Thus, the unfortunate split of Prince Harry from the British royal family make him a normal citizen? Of course not. Prince Harry is still the son of Prince Charles, the heir to the British throne. He is the grandson of the reigning Queen and King Philip. He is the brother of Prince William. Nothing can alter the royal family as far as the circumstances of marriage and births have imposed upon them. Prince Harry's position in the royal family is entrenched no matter what. However, there is hope in Christ for restoration and reconciliation of this unfortunate situation. Friends, the church too is vulnerable to conflicts and um, disagreements because we are located in a fallen world. But that does not mean, that doesn't alter the fact that we are the children of God. That is why we have verse 3, which we have been not looking at before. Paul, on the one hand, says the unity of the church is indestructible because we are born from the triune God. But on the other hand, he says 
strive to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now, verse 3 tells us how to manage this tension in the church. Now, verse 3 tells us, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. The Greek word used for eager is a very emphatic verb, giving us a sense that it is a continuous, diligent process in the imperative. There are no ifs, there are no buts to maintain the unity of the church in the bond of peace. That is why we have the five virtues that we considered before. Lowliness of mind, meekness, patience, forbearance, and above all, the crowning virtue of love, which we bring to the, to the church, and we practice that. So as we maintain the unity of the church through these five virtues, we must always remember that the unity of the church is indestructible because it has come from the triune God. It has been born out of the triune God. Then in verses 7 to 12, Paul talks about that the unity of the church is boosted by its diversity. Now, note the change in emphasis from all of us in verse 6 to each of us in verse 7. Friends, the unity of the church is not a lifeless, dull uniformity. We are vibrantly diverse because of the gifts that God gives us to equip us and to build the church. And Paul goes on to say that grace is given to us primarily in two ways. We have got saving grace and serving grace. Firstly, we are saved by the grace of God and become this part of this new humanity. And thereafter, God endows us with serving grace in the forms of multitude of gifts to equip us and to build God's church. Now, Paul uh, points out to that that the one who gives this multitude of gifts to the church is none other than the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And he quotes Psalm 68, verse 18, in support of that. But there's a small um, problem here, because in 68, 18, it says he took gifts from the people, but in verse 8, in chapter 4 of Ephesians, it says he gave gifts to people. But that should not be a problem because the language used in Psalm 68 was the language of war, the genre is war genre. 
to describe the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and his victory over death. So uh, a victorious king not only um, plunders uh, the people who were defeated, but also gives gifts to his own people and his own troops. So it works both ways, so there is no problem with that. But the first thing that we must note here is that when Jesus arose from the dead and then ascended to his Father in heaven, he took into custody the forces of evil as his captives. Because the cross represents represents an intense spiritual warfare between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. It was fatal for both. God said, He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Yes, Satan struck the heels of the Son of God on the cross. He poured out all the evil that he had at his disposal and exhausted himself. He poured out every ounce of evil on the cross, on Christ. And Jesus took it, every ounce of evil, for and on behalf of you and me. See, and died on the cross. And there Satan was exhausted. He had nothing else to give. Throw at Jesus. Then on the third day he rose from the dead. And then he struck a deadly blow on the head of the serpent. And his head was crushed. That's what happened, friends, on the cross. And it is this victorious king who gives us the gifts. And Paul lists in this passage some gifts for us to read. These gifts are, can be classified into two groups. One group is foundational gifts of the apostles and prophets and building gifts. Now, the apostles and prophets are special people. They gave us the word of God. They wrote the Old Testament and the New Testament and revealed God to us. And they laid the foundation for the church, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. But then we have building gifts, evangelists and pastors and teachers. They go together. So there are two gifts, evangelists and pastoring and word ministry. But friends, if you don't have one of those gifts listed in this passage, please don't be disappointed. Because the Bible has five different lists of gifts. And none of those gifts are complete, they are random, and they vary widely. Some of them are even unsensational gifts like doing acts of mercy and doing administrative work. Even if you put all the five lists together and you make a master list, that list will still be incomplete and random. 
That's how the Holy Spirit has inspired the list of gifts in the Bible. It's an open-ended thing. Undoubtedly, there are many, many more gifts than what the Bible specifies. For example, music is a gift. Singing is a gift. But they are not mentioned in the Bible. So, what we need to understand is, each and every one of us is fearfully and wonderfully and uniquely created. And we need to identify the gifts that God has given us to serve in the church. Bring it out to the church and serve others in humility and in love. For the unity of the church is enriched and boosted by the diversity of the people making it. Then finally, in um, verses 13 to 16, the unity of the church is strengthened by its maturity. Now, Paul says here that when the people in the church bring their gifts together and serve one another in humility and in love, three things happen according to verse 13. Firstly, the church will grow in the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Secondly, it will grow in maturity in Christ and have settled convictions based on the Word of God. So that we will not be tossed and turned by every wind of doctrine. We will have settled convictions based on the Word of God, which is rightly divided. And thirdly, be transformed, attaining the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ, and speaking the truth in love. There is a nice relationship between truth and love, my friends. The truth of salvation is very hard for the unbeliever unless it is softened by love. Love, on the other hand, can be soft and soon turn out to be a promiscuous lust if it is not hardened by the truth. For God's love to be love, it has to be fenced by truth and holiness. And I want to address the young people here. Please do not believe the lie that all love is love. That is what you will be bombarded with when you go into your universities and other institutions of higher learning. All love is not love. For love to be God's love, it has to be fenced by truth and holiness. And you need to stand within those boundaries as you face your challenges as young people in this day and age. Make sure that you always stand between, within the borders of truth and holiness. Remember, the church is strengthened 
by its maturity. The Cheshire cat told Alice, which way you turn will depend on where you want to get to. And Paul, writing the Ephesians, tells us, gives us the larger picture of God's vision, of gathering everything under the headship of Christ, and also how that vision should impact where God wants us to end up. And if we want to end up where God wants us to end up, as his people, we need to do five things. We need to be pure. We need to be united. We need to be diverse. And we need to mature. And above all, we need to love one another. There can be no excuse to for in our commitment to love one another. There, these are the characteristics of a, of, a, of a life worthy of divine calling into which God has called us as his church. And we at Stanhope Anglican Church are a microcosm of that. We need to display purity, unity, Diversity, maturity, and love. May God help us to do just that. Thank you.